Well, it seems um, ironic and definitely appropriate to acknowledge that yesterday was my 17-year anniversary. Yes, Amy, therefore, gets a lot of credit for practicing this message over those last 17 years, as she has had to forgive me much. (laughs) Um, But I, I, I remember, and if you've known me for a while, you've probably already heard me say this, But one of the most impactful quotes, one of the most important pieces of advice I ever got when it came to marriage is also one of the pieces of advice I hated hearing the most. And I'll never forget this friend of mine looked at me and he he said this, what if you never win another argument? That bothered me. (laughs) It bothered me as a competitive person. It bothered me as a prideful person. It bothered me as somebody who feels like I'm right most of the time. It bothered me. But wrapped up in this idea of not having to win a fight is this idea of of letting go and forgiving. And one of the the hardest things that Amy had to deal with, I'm just being real this morning, one of the hardest things she had to deal with is especially in the first couple years of our marriage, when we would have, have an argument, we'd have a fight, I had the list at the ready of all the times prior to that argument where we disagreed about the same thing. And I was frustrated with her, in my mind, for repeating a process that drove me crazy. I mean, I just had it ready. And I can remember her at one point looking at me just exasperated going like, babe, I don't have a list. Like, I I don't have a list to whip out and defend myself. Like, I don't have that. And it just struck me like I was a pretty unforgiving person. I didn't think that I was. But I was. I was keeping track. And it, it took a lot of patience on her part. It took a lot of prayer and just struggling through on my part to say, God, you've got to help me with this. Lord, I have to learn to forget. I have to learn to let go of these things and stop carrying them around. And it was a long, so, slow process. And like, thanks be to God, we're still married 17 years in, and I, I think I've gotten better at that. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I have. Um, but, you know, I just want to say in the midst of this message this morning, like, you know, there were kind of two ways to do this, right? There was give a few practical stories and examples from my life, give you a couple verses. And as I wrestled through a lot of that, I felt like it was going to be hard for me to tell a lot of my personal stories because they involve other people. And that some of that's not my story to share, ways I feel like I've been hurt and wounded and had to forgive. And so um, I just want to say to you, I'm in process. That's how I want to start things off. I'm not coming to you guys as someone who has this figured out or is talking at you about forgiveness. I'm telling you, I'm someone who has been difficult and has hurt people, and I come to you as someone who has been hurt and wounded and have struggled to forgive. And even currently, I'm walking out forgiveness with people who aren't even asking me for it. But I'm walking that out. And and so on my journey, even as I struggle with this, I am convinced of the power and the importance of forgiveness. I believe it's for us, the person who's doing the forgiving. I believe it's the very heart of God. And so I... As best I can, I'm going to unpack some stuff today. I'm going to be honest with you. There's a lot of scripture in here 
Um, I, I could have left it out to have a sermon that flowed a little better. Um, and, and much of it I will just mention in passing because I wanted it to be in the notes. If you don't even hear what I'm saying this morning, if it's incoherent and doesn't make sense, take home the notes. Open up the scripture yourself. Sit with the Lord and invite him to teach you how to forgive. Invite him to, to shift your heart in this matter and watch what he'll do. I believe there's power in taking him at his word and then with his help trying to live it out. All right? So that's where we're going this morning. Now, where we left off. We left off looking at this story of, of making a way for outsiders to be welcomed into the kingdom. And in the midst of this story of a paralyzed guy being brought in and set before Jesus and being healed, Jesus said, I forgive your sins. Jesus got right to the issue, right to the heart. This is what you really need. Even deeper than your physical thing that you're walking through, you need to be loved and accepted. Your guilt and shame needs to be dealt with, and he did that. And we closed last Sunday looking at this verse. I want to read um, this verse again, Matthew 16, 19. Jesus is talking to his disciples, and Peter specifically, who's just acknowledged, I believe you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, I will give you the keys of the kingdom, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And then I left you all with two questions to consider. Number one, what if you lived like the keys of the kingdom of God relied on who you were inviting in? Who were you willing to rip the roof off for? Because that's what he's saying. You've got the keys. Who you let in is in. Who you keep out is out. And then the second question is, who are you going to bring to Jesus' feet? What outsider can become an insider because of you? Those are the questions we left with. Well, this concept of what you bind on earth being bound in heaven and what you loose on earth being loosed in heaven, Jesus references this in two other places. And in both places, he connects it directly to this issue of forgiveness. That should catch our attention. And so let's start with the first one. This is Matthew's gospel, same gospel. It's a couple chapters later. Matthew's gospel, chapter 18. We're going to begin reading in verse 15. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, You've gained your brother. Man, there, there is so much wisdom here that we're not going to unpack today about the full power of reconciliation. We're, we're going to really hone in on our choice to forgive people. But man, I just have to tell you, there's so much meat in here. Even just this idea of the reason I would go to a person who had wronged me is not to shove it in their face. The goal is to win back a brother or a sister. The whole reason I would go and have that conversation is to see it redeemed, not to feel like I've defended myself or pointed out somebody else's fault, but to, to bring redemption. So that's the starting point. And then Jesus says, listen, this is so worth fighting for that if he doesn't listen, take one or two others along with you. 
that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. Bring a couple more people and y'all try it together. See if you can reconcile this thing. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. If he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Take every possible step, every possible measure to bring reconciliation when there's been wounding. Go after it. Fight for it. Then he says, this is the part I really want you all to hear, truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am amongst you. How many of you have heard that verse before? How many of you have used that verse in the context of we are believing by faith that Jesus is going to do a miracle? Me. I think that's right. You know the biggest miracle we're supposed to gather around together and believe for? The power of reconciliation because we unite our hearts to forgive. The, the power of forgiveness is the real power. That's the real power of God. It's the thing that sets him apart and makes him so unique. He's a God who forgives. And he says, what I think would be incredible is if a community got together and decided the defining characteristic about our gathering, our two or three coming together, is that we are going to be a people of forgiveness. That we are going to be a people who instead of binding up, we want to see freedom come. That means we have to choose to practice forgiveness. Radical kingdom power shows up when we choose to release forgiveness. We get to decide whether we do that or not. The keys of the kingdom have been handed to us. How easy is it to circle up with a few people? And listen, I've been guilty of this. My hand's up. To circle up with a group of people and instead of thinking, how can we come together in agreement to see reconciliation and practice forgiveness, we circle up to agree how wrong that other person was, how much they're blowing it, how much they're messing up, how much damage they're causing, and feel justified to be bound up in our wounding. When instead, if we gather to go, how could we practice forgiveness in this instance? What would it look like to see the power of God show up to bring true forgiveness in the midst of this hurt and wound? What kind of freedom could it bring us? What kind of freedom might it invite our friend into if we were so committed to that that we pursued him? We pursued him and said, let's make this right. Two or three of us pursued it together to say, let's make this right. You know, it might be easy kind of at the end of the, all of this to go, okay, like Jesus is laying out this game plan and eventually he gets to the point where he says, hey, if they refuse, let him be as a Gentile and a tax collector, kick him out. Okay, yes. Finally, there's a point where they've gone too far and we can say, all right, sorry, we're done with you. Well, Jesus tells us we can treat them like an enemy. Cool. Except for Jesus has already told us how we treat our enemies. 
Luke's Gospel, chapter 6. I'm going to read just some bits of this. You can go back and, and read the whole passage. Um, this is several verses taken from Luke, 20, Luke 6, 27 through 38, where Jesus talks to us about how we treat our enemies. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. If you haven't yet reached the point in the message where you realize why I'm connecting faith to forgiveness, I hope it's starting to land. It takes faith in God to believe that we can even try to walk this out and that he could somehow do something miraculous in the midst of us walking this out. But he can. He says, verse 32, if you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. Verse 36. This is why we can even attempt this. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will it be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. How many people have heard that verse before? How many of you have heard it in the verse of giving a lot of money to Jesus and his church and getting a whole bunch of stuff poured back out on you? I'm not saying it's not that. But again, it's connected to this issue of forgiveness. The radical faith that Jesus is calling us to is to believe that miraculous kingdom power shows up when two or three of us get together and ask God to do a miracle through the power of forgiveness. And miraculous things come our way when we choose to walk this out. What this passage is saying is not only am I called to love my enemies, he actually is saying the same measuring stick you use to forgive your enemies is the one that will be used for you when you need forgiveness. Did you catch that? He's not going to measure based on how you treat the folks who treat you well. The, I, listen, me and you, we actually get to help determine the depth and scope of the forgiveness we receive. I can actually expand the, uh, my ability to receive radical forgiveness from God when I'm in need of it by being a person who practices radical forgiveness. That's what this is saying. I'm not saying it's limited by us. Jesus' forgiveness is limitless. But our ability to receive it is determined by our willingness to forgive others. There's a direct link there made throughout Scripture. I'm going I'm to go bullet point through some of these, and this is a place I would encourage you to lean in more on your own. First of all, I want to just give you four parables in passing. I'm going to mention what the parable's about and where the reference is, and you can go read it. But Jesus talked a lot about this issue of how we walk out forgiveness and reconciliation with other people. And so one of the first things he points to is in this same passage. 
He immediately leaps from what he's saying right here and tells the the parable or the story of the plank and the speck. Y'all familiar with that one? What are we called to do? Remove the plank from our own eye so that we can see clearly to remove the speck from someone else's? That's this idea of forgiveness. One of our biggest obstacles in forgiveness is we lose sight, literally, of how much we've been forgiven. And so I get it reversed. And I think I'm carrying around maybe a little speck. Sure, I've messed up. Sure, I've made some mistakes at times. Sure, people have had to forgive me. But man, I've never done anything like that. And I see the huge log in somebody else's eye. And it's an obstacle for me actually being able to walk out forgiveness. It's Luke's gospel, chapter 6, verse 39 through 45. The next one. Man, this, this one caused the disciples to literally say, increase our faith when they heard Jesus talking like this. So in, in Luke chapter 17, verses 3 through 10, Jesus is talking about, it's this, it's this discussion about um, forgiving your neighbor. They, they sin seven times in a day and they come back to you and repent and you forgive all seven times. It's that story. And they hear that and go, increase our faith. And then he tells them a story. And the entire story is about these servants who've had a long day and they come home from their long day. And it's now time for them to serve the the nightly dinner to their master, the one they work for. And so they come in and they, they do their duty. They roll up their sleeves. They prepare the meal. They serve the meal. They clean up afterwards. And he says, do the servants expect the master to be like great job. You did it. This is amazing. No, it's just sort of expected. It's what they do. They serve the master. Jesus tells that story connected to practicing forgiveness on a daily basis. What's he saying? Forgiveness is a matter of duty. It's standard operating procedure. What if I just expected when I woke up this morning, I'm going to have to forgive some people today. I'm going to have to practice this with my wife. Something's going to happen that's going to frustrate me and hurt me, and I'm just going to be prepared that I'm going to need to forgive today. Standard operating procedure. Another parable he tells, Luke chapter 15. You know, we focus a lot on the prodigal son in this story. But the elder brother, his his root issue is he cannot forgive his brother. He's he's missed the very heart and compassion of his father. He's dumbfounded when his father is able to immediately lavish love, compassion, and celebration on the prodigal son that's returned. And the elder brother's furious. And I want you to see what happens here because we talked about this a little bit last Sunday the danger of us becoming Pharisees if we don't welcome in outsiders. Because what happens to the elder son? He is an insider. He's been home with his father the whole time. Everything his father has belongs to him. Where is he at the end of the story? Is he inside enjoying the party? No. When we practice unforgiveness, We move from being insiders and we become outsiders. And our story is just like his. God is pleading with us, 
come back into the party. Choose to forgive. It's right that we forgive. It's right that we celebrate when the lost are found. It's right when we celebrate the ones who are dead coming back. This is worth it. And so he's, he's pleading and inviting. Come back in. Come back into the party. Don't move from being an insider to an outsider because of unforgiveness. And then finally, Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 through 35. He tells the story of this, this servant who was so deep in debt, he was about to be thrown in, in prison because he couldn't pay it back. And the guy begs and pleads with the judge to be forgiven of his debt. And so not only is he released, he's not even told you have to pay back the debt. It's wiped clean. He gets a fresh start. The debt's gone. The guy leaves that conversation and immediately finds someone that owes him like 10 bucks. It's like, pay up. And decides to have that person thrown in jail because they can't pay up the 10 bucks. He, he leaves his place of need and forgiveness that he had received on a massive scale and is unable then to practice forgiveness in his own life. The reality of his forgiveness had not sunk in. Finally, besides Jesus addressing this through multiple parables where he's emphasizing the importance of this, he then, when he teaches his disciples how to pray, right? It's the Lord's Prayer. I mean, just this awesome prayer. God, you're, you're holy. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Oh, bring daily bread. God, you're so good. You provide. And then Jesus throws this in there. Matthew chapter 6, verse 14 and 15. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. If you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. I don't know about you guys, but about this point, it's like, this just feels hard. This, this just feels like a huge list and huge standard that seems so difficult to measure up to. I mean, isn't this about forgiveness? Like, God has grace for me. He's forgiven me. Now I'm being asked to do this. This feels like a lot. It's heavy. I, I hope that it's right about here that we can see Jesus does something wonderful for us. Because there's a second time where he mentioned the power he gives us to forgive. And it's after his resurrection. And so in John's Gospel, chapter 20, take a look at this. I hope we'll find some encouragement here. John's Gospel, chapter 20, verse 19. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands. He's talking about the wounds and the wound in his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, as the Father, in the same way that the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he said this, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. The, the power that Jesus had that was the most controversial 
was his power to forgive sins. If you look through the story of his life over and over again, constantly, what was setting off the Pharisees? Who are you to forgive sins? Who are you to play God? How can you forgive sins? Over and over again. In fact, it's kind of the very thing that led them to crucify him, was his power to forgive sins. In this passage, Jesus is saying, that power that I've walked in, Derek, I now give it to you, buddy. I give you that power. You get to be the one that carries around the ability to forgive sins and invite people into the kingdom. Derek's got that. Derek can share that with us. We can get some of that. How cool is that? The, the most powerful impact Jesus had was the ability to look at people and say, you're forgiven. Freedom is coming into your life. No more guilt, no more shame, no more pressure to be performed. The pressure's off. You're loved and forgiven. We not only get to hear that from him and receive that ourselves, we get to carry that around and give it away. And then he says, listen, I know this is going to be hard, so guess what? <sighs> Receive my spirit. Because on your own, you can't do this. But you're not alone. I'm with you, and I'm in you. You carry around my very presence in your life. And because of my presence in your life, not only can you receive the forgiveness you need, you can cooperate with me and invite others into the kingdom. I'm giving you what you need. Here's my spirit. Here's my presence. Let's go see some people set free. That's what we're called to. It's the message of the gospel. You know what else I love about this? I, I, I've been consistently reminded in my adult life I grew up learning a lot of the stories about Jesus and the Old Testament stories. But one of the things I've been really grateful for in my adult life is just some of these simple, simple, practical moments with Jesus. Did you catch how he started this whole conversation? He showed them what it cost to forgive like that. He's not pretending like it's easy. Here's the thing about forgiveness. It's free to the person who's receiving it. It can't be earned. It can't be paid for. There's not some perfect level of like um, penance. There's not some right amount of heartfelt tears and perfect words that you craft to repent just right that earn forgiveness. Forgiveness, you can't afford it. My bank account doesn't have enough. I cannot pay for forgiveness. But forgiveness is expensive, y'all. Because forgiveness is paid for by the person who does the forgiving. And Jesus is being honest with us when he says, hey, you see these scars? You're going to have some too. You're going to have some scars along the way. Some people are going to hurt you. You're going to have some enemies. But I know. I know what that pain's like. 
I get it. I've lived it. And I'm telling you, it's worth it. And you may carry those scars, but I carry scars too. And I'm with you. And I'm telling you, healing comes when you choose to forgive. It's what I do. It's who I am. It's what I'm about. And I will place my spirit in your heart and life, and you can become like this too. You can learn to forgive radically. You want to get to know Jesus? You want to grow in your relationship with God? Start hanging out with him and becoming like him. Realize he's there to help you do it. You walk out this issue of forgiveness, it will change your life. It will teach you more about the love of God than you could ever imagine. I don't think you can accurately walk out forgiving other people without starting to become very attuned to how much you've been forgiven. God knows that. Part of how he's going to unpack his radical forgiveness that he's poured into your life is by inviting you to do the same. And so when we purpose to do this, it becomes real. Man, I have been forgiven, and it cost him everything. And he's inviting me to forgive, and that's going to cost me something. But I'm I'm choosing to believe him that it's worth it because he said it was worth it, and then he went and did it. He lived it out. So how can we learn to forgive like this, all right? This is where it gets practical for a minute. I'm going to give you three simple things, and then we're going to close by looking at at God's love at the end. Three practical things, and I'm not going to take time really unpacking these. These are verses you could go back and look at, okay? Three ways that we can learn to forgive. Number one, 1 John 1, verses 7 through 10. What's cool about this is my buddy Joel prayed some of this this morning in our time of prayer in there, having no idea what we were talking about today. 1 John chapter 1, verse 7. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of his Son cleanses us from all sin. We, we can live in a community of light where we all recognize we need this forgiveness. We all do. I actually think this is one of the most important things about being in a church community with each other because, like, we're stuck with each other. So will we practice this? Will we choose to walk in forgiveness? If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we've not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Step one to learning how to forgive, recognize your own need. Recognize your own need. Ask for it yourself. You know, one of the things I've tried to practice a little bit in my life, and I've shared this with other people, when it's your moment to be the one who needs to repent, don't just say, I'm sorry. Ask for forgiveness. When you ask for forgiveness, it it causes you to get your eyes off yourself where you're sort of halfway justifying what you did. Like, I'm sorry I did that, but also, right? The excuses can get attached to that really quick. But when I'm asking for forgiveness, I'm starting to look at it from their perspective. What did I do to Zach? Like, not just what did I do and how do I get this over with and I'm sorry and can we move on? It's like, 
will you forgive me? Like I'm acknowledging I, I did something to you. You may or may not want to forgive. You may or may not be ready to forgive, but like I'm asking it. The, the way we can get good at forgiving is to start by realizing we need to be forgiven and ask for it. Ask God for it. Ask others for it. Live in a community of light. Okay, the second thing that we can do, Colossians 3, 11 through 15. We can practice with God's family. I was already referencing this a second ago. Here in God's family, there is no Greek and Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, or free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then. This means it's a choice. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, what? Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Put on the love of God. Practice in loving Christian community, realizing, John, what happens to you happens to me, buddy. We're one body. We're united. We're connected. When you're hurt, I'm hurt. And when we, when we live out of that, that, that sense of family, that sense of community, that sense of unity, where each other's hurts and wounds are our own, we can practice this. We can practice this. It can become real when we live in a community like that. So practice with God's family because we're one in Christ. Number three, we recognize our own need. We practice with God's family. Number three, Ephesians 4, 30 through 32. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger, clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. How do we practice forgiveness? We cooperate with the Holy Spirit that's within us. Don't grieve him, cooperate with him. You know, we did a whole series on the Holy Spirit and his presence in our lives. You, you want to practice recognizing his voice in your life? I can tell you what he's always saying. He's inviting you to love and forgive the people around you. So don't contradict that. Align yourself with him. Cooperate with the spirit of God that is within you. You can do this. Because here's the deal. The spirit of God that's within you, he's changing you. I love how Bob Goff puts this. He talks about us becoming love. We're becoming love by cooperating with God. What's the opposite of becoming love? Everything that was warned here. Be careful of bitterness, wrath, anger, slander, malice. You're always in process. You and I both, we are always in process. We're becoming something. Am I aligning myself with the spirit and presence of God and letting him do his work of making me compassionate, loving, tender-hearted, 
united to his body, being the kind of person who is more interested in welcoming outsiders in than defending my turf and being hurt and frustrated. I'm becoming something. Am I cooperating with him to become love? Compassion and forgiveness are linked together. All right. I want to close this morning by just soaking in the compassionate, forgiving nature of our God. He's a God who forgives. He's a God who's inviting us to be more like him. And he's saying, my love will be poured out in your heart when you choose to forgive. So to look at what he's like, we're going to check out Psalm 103. I'm going to bullet point through this, and there should be references to the verses these are found in. Read the whole psalm. It's great. Starting in verse 2, Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Do you hear what the writer is saying? Soul, pay attention to who God is. Don't forget. Remember all the benefits that I have because of him. Feed on them. Reflect on them. Take them in. The more that I take in the incredible love and benefits I've received from God, the more free I become, the more real that is in my heart. And I can invite that God to show up in my life. So what are these benefits? Verse 3, he's the God who forgives all your iniquity. The word all there means all. It's not a complicated Hebrew word. It means all of it. He forgives our iniquity. Who redeems your life from the pit. You ever been in the pit and kind of knew you deserved to be there? Like there's times where I'm in the pit and feel like it's not fair and I don't deserve to be there. Those are pretty miserable too. But then there's the times where I'm in the pit and I know this is my fault. I got myself here. He redeems us out of the pit. He picks us up and lifts us out. He redeems your life from the pit. Continuing in verse four, he crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. It's like royalty being in his family. His love and his mercy is our crown. Verse 8, the Lord is merciful and gracious. He's slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Man, I got to hold on to that one. He's slow to anger. He's patient with us. Sarah, he's long-suffering. He hangs in there. He doesn't get frustrated and give up on us and throw in the towel and say enough of that. He hangs in there. Verse 12. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgression from us. When I, I've talked about that one before, but I love it. East and west never touch. If you are traveling east, you will never accidentally be traveling west. It's a completely opposite direction. If you go north, you will eventually reach the North Pole and start heading south. He said specifically, I remove your transgression from you as far as the east is from the west. They, they no longer touch. I've, I've detached them from you. That verse is what was life-changing for me to stop keeping my list. You want to figure out where to start when it comes to forgiving somebody who's really wounded you? How about you stop rehearsing that thing over and over and over in your head? Rehearsing the moments, the conversations, the way it's 
rippled out into the world? What if I viewed them without viewing that piece attached to them? What if I viewed them as a, as a broken son or daughter of God who are in need of love and redemption themselves? What if I viewed them like that? What if I viewed them like me? Two more. I love this. For he knows our frame and he remembers that we are dust. He's like, hey, I just kind of expect it. Joel, you're going to screw up, buddy. You're dust. (laughs) He just expects it. I expect that my people are going to blow it and require forgiveness. We We should almost expect, you know, the longer we're in relationship with people, the more likely they're going to do something that's going to hurt us. See, the the truth is that sort of hovers over all this, and and you already know this. Our enemies are not the random person down the street that we've barely met that made us mad one day when, you know, they drove by in the car and we cut them off and they selected a finger. Like, (laughs) that's not my enemy. My, My enemies are the people that are closest. We're the ones that really hurt each other. We're the ones. But if we remember, like he does, our frame. Man, we're dust. We blow it. Some of the people we love the most, we hurt the most. Will we choose to forgive? And finally, the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him. Thank you for his everlasting, eternal love. Amen? I ran out of time. Um, I've got some notes in here that you can check out if you want to sit with the Lord on this. Just reflecting on him on the cross. Like the psalm gives us like this, this beautiful language to describe what he does. And then Jesus goes and lives it out. And on that very cross, he's forgiving the ones he's up there for. Like he's up there for outcasts and criminals who are mocking him. And he forgives right there in the moment. He not only is forgiving the ones who he's dying for, he's forgiving the ones that put him there. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. So this isn't just beautiful flowery language to describe like isn't God sweet up there in the sky. No, he gets his hands dirty to forgive. He loves us radically with all of his heart and he invites us to become more like him. He tells us it's important He tells us we can do it. He tells us that he'll be with us while we do it and that it takes faith. He knows it takes faith to trust him to live like this. But he's saying, if you want to see radical kingdom power, don't just settle for, I saw a person who was lame get up out of a chair. There's something higher. The radical power of forgiveness that changes lives eternally. We get to receive it, and if we choose, we get to give it away. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I'm just acknowledging I'm not good at this. I'm not good at this. I'm good at it in some cases that are easier, but God, when it's, when it's really difficult, when it really hurts, and when the person isn't even seeking forgiveness, they're happy to continue being an enemy, God, this gets hard. But Jesus, I thank you 
that you loved me. That at great cost to yourself, you gave me the gift of forgiveness. You have brought me an outsider near. And God, you still do that when as your son, I'm like dust and I I blow it. I make mistakes. And God, you continue to invite me back in by the power of your forgiveness. God, would you teach me more and more to, to be a person who lives in view of your forgiveness and who chooses to forgive my enemies. Help me to do that. Help my friends to do that. God, this takes faith, but we thank you that a mustard seed faith is enough. And we're trusting you to help us become like you, to love and to forgive. Help us to recognize our need Help us to practice this within the family of God and help us to cooperate with your spirit that is within us that will give us the strength to forgive. It's in Jesus' name we pray this morning. Amen.